Section 74. Reviews of Oscar Wilde. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Lucy Burgoyne. Reviews by Oscar Wilde. Edited by Robert Ross. Section 74. Australian Poets. Paul Mall Gazette, December 14, 1888. Mr. Sladen dedicates his anthology, or perhaps we should say his herbarium, of Australian song to Mr. Edmund Gosse, whose exquisite critically faculty is, he tells us, as conspicuous in his poems as in his lectures on poetry. After so graceful a compliment, Mr. Gosse must certainly deliver a series of discourses upon antipodian art before the Cambridge undergraduates, who will, no doubt, be very much interested on hearing about Gordon, Kendall, and Domet, to say nothing of the extraordinary collection of mediocrities, whom Mr. Sladen has somewhat ruthlessly dragged from their modest and well-merited obscurity. Gordon, however, is very badly represented in Mr. Sladen's book, the only three specimens of his work that are included being an unrevised fragment, his valedictory poem, and an exile's farewell. The latter is, of course, touching, but then the commonplace always touches, and it is a great pity that Mr. Sladen was unable to come to any financial arrangement with the holders of Gordon's copyright. The loss to the volume that now lies before us is quite irreparable. Through Gordon, Australia found her first fine utterance in song. Still, there are some other singers here well worth studying, and it is interesting to read about poets who lie under the shadow of the gum tree. Gather wattle blossoms and butter wong and sarsaparilla for their loves and wander through the glades of Mount Baubor, listening to the careless raptures of the Mopoc. To them November is, the wonder with the golden wings, who lays one hand in summers, one in springs. January is full of breaths of myrrh, and subtle hints of rose lands. She is the warm, live month of luster. She makes glad the land and lulls the strong, sad sea while February is the true Demeter, and, with rich warm thine blood splashed from heel to knee, comes radiant through the yellow woodlands. Each month, as it passes, calls for new praise and for music different from our own. July is a lady born in wind and rain. In August, across the range by every scarred black fell, strong winter blows his horn, a wild farewell, while October is the queen of all the year, the lady of the yellow hair, who strays with blossom-trammeled feet across the haughty-featured hills, and brings the spring with her. We must certainly try to accustom ourselves to the mopoke and the sarsaparilla plant, and to make the gum-tree and the butterwong as dear to us as the olives and the narcissi of white colonists. After all, the muses are great travellers, 
and the same foot that stirred the cumnor cowslips may some day brush the fallen gold of the wattle blossoms and tread delicately over the tawny bush grass. Mr. Sladen has, of course, a great belief in the possibilities of Australian poetry. There are, in Australia, he tells us, far more writers capable of producing good work than has been assumed. It is only natural, he adds, that this should be so, for Australia has one of those delightful climates conductive to rest in the open air. The middle of the day is so hot that it is really more healthful to lounge about than to take stronger exercise. Well, lounging in the open air is not a bad school for poets, but it largely depends on the lounger. What strikes one on reading over Mr. Sladen's collection is the depressing provinciality of mood and manner in almost every writer. Page follows page, and we find nothing but echoes without music, reflections without beauty, second-rate magazine verses and third-rate verses for colonial newspapers. Poe seems to have had some influence, at least, there are several parodies of his method, and one or two writers have read Mr. Swinburne. But, on the whole, we have artless nature in her most irritating form. Of course, Australia is young, younger even than America, whose youth is now one of her oldest and most hallowed traditions. But the entire want of originality of treatment is curious, and yet not so curious perhaps, after all. Youth is really original. There are, however, some exceptions. Henry Clarence Kendall had a true poetic gift. The series of poems on the austral months, from which we have already quoted, is full of beautiful things. Landor's Rose Alma is a classic in its way, but Kendall's Rose Lorraine is in parts not unworthy to be mentioned after it, and the poem entitled Beyond Kerguelen has a marvellous music about it, a wonderful rhythm of words and a real richness of utterance. Some of the lines are strangely powerful, and, indeed, in spite of its exaggerated alliteration, or perhaps in consequence of it, the whole poem is a most remarkable work of art. Down in the south, by the waste without sail on it, far from the zone of the blossom and tree, lit with winter and whirlwind and wail on it, ghost of a land by the ghost of a sea, weird is the mist from the summit to base of it, sun of its heaven is wizened and grey, phantom of light is the light on the face of it, never is night on it, never is day. Here is the shore without flower or bird on it. Here is no litany sweet of the springs. Only the haughty, harsh thunder is heard on it. Only the storm with a roar in its wings. Back in the dawn of this beautiful sphere, on it, land of the dolorous, desolate face, beam the blue day and the beautiful year on it, fostered the leaf and the blossom of grace. Grand were the lights of its midsummer noon on it. Mornings of majesty shone on its seas. Glitter of star and the glory of moon on it fell in the march of the musical breeze. 
valleys and hills with the whisper of wing in them, dells of the daffodil, spaces impearled, flowered and flashed with the splendor of spring in them, back in the morn of this wonderful world. Mr. Sladen speaks of Alfred de Met as the author of one of the great poems of a century in which Shelley and Keats, Byron and Scott, Wordsworth and Tennyson have all flourished, but the extracts he gives from Ranulph and Amoa hardly substantiate this claim. Although the song of the tree god in the fourth book is clever but exasperating, A Midsummer's Noon by Charles Harper, the grey forefather of Australian poetry, is pretty and graceful, and Thomas Henry's Wood Notes and Miss Veal's Saturday Night are worth reading, but on the whole, the Australian poets are extremely dull and prosaic. There seems to be no sirens in the new world. As for Mr. Sladen himself, he has done his work very conscientiously. Indeed, in one instance, he almost rewrites an entire poem in consequence of the manuscript having reached him in a mutilated condition. A pleasant land is a land of dreams at the back of the shining air. It has sunnier skies and sheenier streams, and gardens than earth's more fair. It is the first verse of this lucubration, and Mr. Sladen informs us with justifiable pride that the parts printed in italics are from his own pen. This is certainly editing with a vengeance, and we cannot help saying that it reflects more credit on Mr. Sladen's good nature than on his critical or his poetical powers. The appearance, also, in a volume of poems produced in Australia, of selections from Horn's Orion, cannot be defended, especially as we are given no specimen of the poetry Horn wrote during the time that he actually was in Australia where he held the office of Warden of the Blue Mountains, a position which, as far as the title goes, is loveliest ever given to any poet, and would have suited Wordsworth admirably. Wordsworth, that is to say, at his best, for he not infrequently wrote like the distributor of stamps. However, Mr. Sladen has shown great energy in the compilation of this bulky volume, which, though it does not contain much that is of any artistic value, has a certain historical interest, especially for those who care to study the conditions of intellectual life in the colonies of a great empire. The biographical notices of the enormous crowd of verse-makers which is included in this volume are chiefly from the pen of Mr. Patchett Martin. Some of them are not very satisfactory, formerly of West Australia, now residing at Boston, U.S., has published several volumes of poetry, is a ludicrously inadequate account of such a man as John Boyle O'Reilly, while in poet, essayist, critic, and journalist, one of the most prominent figures in literary London, few will recognize the industrious Mr. William Sharp. Still, on the whole, we should be grateful for a volume that has given us specimens of Kendall's work, 
and perhaps Mr. Sladen will some day produce an anthology of Australian poetry, not a herbarium of Australian verse. His present book has many good qualities, but it is almost unreadable. Australian Poets, 1788-1888, edited by Douglas B. W. Sladen, B.A., Oxen, Griffith, Farron and Co. End of section 74